Crime Happens contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Happens, where we uncover the evil that surrounds us. I'm your host, Chris. When Public Works employees spotted a red suitcase on Glenville Road near Stillman Lane in Greenwich, Connecticut, they were in for a horrible surprise. Employees unzipped the suitcase and discovered the decomposing body of a young woman. Upon this gruesome discovery, they immediately called authorities. When law enforcement arrived, they examined the contents of the suitcase and found the dead body of a female in her 20s to 30s with shoulder-length black hair. She was barefoot with an unbuttoned shirt and jeans. She was bound at the feet and knees. Her hands were bound behind her back with what appeared to be white twine and packing tape. There were obvious signs of head trauma, and she was in the early stages of decomposition with modeling around her hands and feet. On the day this body was found, authorities notified the Ray's family Her father and brother were able to come in and positively identified her remains. Unfortunately for the Rays family, it was their oldest daughter, Valerie Rays. They had reported her missing just six days earlier when she failed to show up for work. Valerie Rays was a 24-year-old resident of New Rochelle, New York. She was the oldest of four children and shared a close relationship with her family, especially her mom, Naomi Sanchez. Valerie worked at Barnes & Nobles in Eastchester and was an aspiring artist who dreamed of opening her own tattoo parlor, just like her brother. Photographs of Valerie on the internet clearly depict a very beautiful woman. Friends and family all agree she was just as beautiful on the inside. Naomi DeJesus was a friend of Valerie's, and she shared the following about her friend. Quote, Anyone she has ever met, she has left an impact on them. She was one of the most selfless and non-judgmental persons I have ever known. Even during her hardest times, she was always there for her friends whenever we needed her. It breaks my heart knowing she is no longer with us. Unquote. Javier Enrique da Silva Rojas was a 25-year-old immigrant from Venezuela. His attorney described him as a young man who had no criminal record and a good reputation. They detailed a normal, middle-class upbringing in Venezuela that ended when the country's economy collapsed, causing rampant shortages of food and essential services and street protests that were clamped down by government forces. Da Silva had to quit college, and in 2017 he fled to the United States with just $600 in his pocket. He was able to find work relatively quickly after arriving in New York. He started out working for a cleanup company and eventually got a job at a restaurant. Da Silva traveled regularly and loved to take photos of his various trips around New York City, Washington, D.C., and Latin America, which he would then post on his Instagram account. He wore his hair long with a cropped beard, giving him the look of an urban hipster. 
When Da Silva met Valerie, he was living in Queens and working as a barista in New York City. Da Silva, who holds Portuguese citizenship, came to this country in May of 2017 and overstayed his visa. After Da Silva's visa had expired, he continued to stay in the country. He was actually here in the U.S. illegally at the time he met Valerie Reyes in an online dating website. They began dating in January of 2018. According to her family, their relationship was very strained because Da Silva was much more serious about the relationship than Valerie was. They had barely been seeing each other for three months, and Da Silva was already talking about them moving in together. After he made this proposal, Valerie decided she wanted to end the relationship. Da Silva was just getting too serious and moving too fast. It was in April of 2018 that Valerie broke up with Da Silva. Apparently, Da Silva was pretty devastated by the breakup and had a hard time letting go. He continued trying to contact her. He sent her a birthday message and songs, but she didn't respond to his message. In fact, she had stopped responding or communicating with him, period, after she broke up with him. Valerie's mom, Naomi Sanchez, told authorities that she felt De Silva was a manipulative individual who could also be very controlling and stubborn. The AP reported that even though De Silva continued to contact Valerie, she was no longer responding to him. It seemed like he had given up, but then six months later, out of the blue, in September of 2018, he tried again. He sent her a message telling her that he wanted to reimburse her because he had mistakenly used her debit card information. Valerie didn't want to deal with him, so she asked a male friend to help her with the handling of the reimbursement. Obviously, during their short-lived three-month relationship, Valerie knew all too well that De Silva was bad news. So much so that she seriously did not want to have any further contact with him whatsoever. Nine months after their breakup, De Silva is still thinking about Valerie. He's angry about the breakup and the fact that she refuses to communicate with him. As the investigation into Valerie's disappearance and murder are underway, authorities are able to put together a pretty solid timeline of events. On January 24, 2019, about a week and a half prior to Valerie going missing, authorities found a text message from De Silva, which appeared to be sent to a woman he was romantically involved with. He tells her, quote, I just found my ex fucking in bed with the guy next door in New Rochelle. Unquote. New Rochelle is where Valerie lived, so they do believe he was referring to her in this text. After finishing her shift, Valerie left her job at Barnes & Nobles in Scarsdale, New York, and headed home. Scarsdale and New Rochelle are about 10 miles apart. When she got home, she called her mom, which was pretty normal for Valerie, but on this occasion, she told her mom that she was nervous, anxious, and afraid someone was going to murder her. She didn't give her mom any specifics and didn't give her any names or other reasons for feeling this way. Her mom knew she would see Valerie soon, so she didn't push her too hard for more information. She did text her mom back later saying that she had had something to eat and was feeling a little bit better. At 11.35 p.m. that same night, Valerie texted back and forth with a friend, finally saying, quote, 
I'm a knockout now. My eyes can't open anymore. LOL. Unquote. And this was the last time anyone heard from Valerie. Meanwhile, Da Silva is on the move. At 10.50 p.m. on that very same night, a security camera at his apartment complex captures him leaving his apartment in Queens, New York. Queens is about 20 miles from New Rochelle. He's wearing a black hooded sweatshirt over his head, dark pants, and black sneakers with white soles. This outfit is recognizable in footage from other security cameras as well. Five minutes after leaving his apartment, he's seen on another security camera getting a rental car from a garage near his home. The car was a black Honda CRV. Then, using Google Maps on his phone, he entered an address for a church located about one mile from where Valerie lived. Later, when authorities began to investigate, they could see De Silva's movements using his Google location data on his phone. De Silva then drove to New Rochelle. His Google location data showed that De Silva was within 200 feet of Valerie's home. Next, he turned off his location data and put his cell phone in airplane mode. There was no record of any communication between De Silva and Valerie prior to his arrival in New Rochelle or after, so authorities do not believe he was invited. Turning off his location data and putting his phone in airplane mode is pretty indicative of his sinister intentions. You would only do that if you wanted to hide something. It's not clear how De Silva gained entry into Valerie's apartment. She lived in a house that had converted the basement into an apartment. Maybe he convinced her to let him in. Maybe he broke in. Either way, once in, a violent struggle ensued. According to prosecutors, De Silva brutally beat Valerie. As a result, Valerie had significant head trauma, bruising around her face, and a large hematoma to her forehead. Initially, De Silva tried to say that Valerie had injured her head while they were having what he called rough sex. He claimed that she fell to the floor and hit her head. He actually tries to convince authorities that he showed up to Valerie's place after having no contact with her for nine months, and she invites him in and they have rough sex. Authorities didn't buy it, and I'm not buying it either. In an exclusive interview with the New York Post, he is reported to have, quote, bawled uncontrollably and said he panicked after she lost consciousness and he was unable to revive her. I didn't mean to do it. I'm a bad person, unquote. Instead of calling 911 or getting any kind of help at all, De Silva then proceeded to bind her hands and feet and gag her using packing tape. Then he stuffed Valerie into a big red suitcase while she was still alive. De Silva took the suitcase from the apartment with Valerie still trapped inside and placed her in his rental car. So, yes, he is a bad person. At about 3 a.m. in the morning, Valerie's phone stopped pinging off any cell towers. This meant that De Silva had placed her cell phone in airplane mode too. He was still able to access her iCloud account and he spent time going over her photos, notes, browsing history, and find my iPhone app until about 4.17 a.m. Then, just a few minutes later, 4.20 a.m. and again at 4.33 a.m., De Silva used Valerie's thumbprint to gain access to her Chase bank account 
and view her account balance. So De Silva has to unzip the suitcase to use Valerie's thumbprint. Is she dead by now? Is she still alive, but slowly dying in the suitcase? I can just picture him unzipping the suitcase and manipulating her tied up hands so he can access her thumb and unlock her phone. He is one cold, callous dude. Various security cameras and cell phone towers capture much of De Silva's activity, including the license plate of the car he was driving. After leaving Valerie's home, De Silva drove to a Chase bank very close to her house in New Rochelle. He parked in a lot across the street from the bank. He got out of the car, crossed the street, and entered the bank. Security cameras depict a male wearing a black hooded sweatshirt over his head, dark pants, and black sneakers with white soles. The same outfit De Silva was seen wearing on a security camera when he left his apartment earlier that evening. Then he left the bank, crossed the street again, got into his car, and drove westbound. He was able to withdraw $1,000 from Valerie's account. At 6.29 a.m., De Silva's phone begins to ping off of cell towers in Harrison, New York. It continued pinging as he reached the area of Darien, Connecticut between 6.53 a.m. and 7.11 a.m. At about 7.11 a.m., De Silva logged into several applications on Valerie's phone. Next, De Silva's phone is pinging off a cell tower in Greenwich, Connecticut at 7.24 a.m. Based on the location of the cell towers his phone was pinging off of, De Silva drove through southern Connecticut before pulling his vehicle over to the side of the road in Greenwich. Greenwich is about 12 miles across the state line from where Valerie lived. It was here that De Silva took the big red suitcase containing Valerie Ray's out of his rental car and dumped it in the woods several yards from the road. She was pretty badly injured when De Silva placed her in the suitcase and she is slowly suffocating to death. Although Valerie was alive when he placed her in the suitcase, it can't be determined how long she actually lived. I can't help but wonder if she was conscious while in the suitcase. I hope not. After De Silva dumped Valerie's body off the side of the road, he is on the move again. His phone is identified pinging off of a cell tower near Scarsdale at 8.06 a.m., then a cell tower in New Rochelle at 8.27 a.m., then a cell tower in Queens County at 9.11 a.m. De Silva turned his Google location back on when he got back to Queens County. Security cameras in his apartment complex show that he arrived back home at 9.43 a.m. It also seems that he had changed his clothes. De Silva had replaced his hoodie with a long tan coat and was now carrying a duffel bag. The following is based on the deposition of Daniel McKenna, a special agent with the FBI. Valerie Rays was reported missing by her mother, father, and current new boyfriend on January 30, 2019 at approximately 2.43 p.m. The same day, De Silva used Valerie's debit card at an ATM in Midtown Manhattan to withdraw another $1,000. Next, on January 31st, February 1st, and February 2nd, he used her card in Manhattan to make additional withdrawals. In total, he withdrew approximately $5,350 from her Chase bank account. 
On the morning of February 5, 2019, Public Works employees spotted a red suitcase near a public road in Greenwich, Connecticut. It had been tossed down an embankment alongside the road. Inside the red suitcase was the decomposing body of a young woman. When authorities recovered Valerie Reyes' body from that suitcase, she was barefoot and wearing an unbuttoned shirt and denim jeans. Her feet, knees, and hands were bound with white twine and packing tape. Her hands were bound behind her back, and there were multiple layers of packing tape over her mouth and chin. There were also obvious signs of head trauma, including bruising around the face and a large hematoma on her forehead. Traces of De Silva's DNA was located on a genital swab and on a breast swab from Valerie. His DNA also appeared in Valerie's fingernail clippings and on the handle of the suitcase in which Valerie was found. There was no mention of a sexual assault despite De Silva's DNA having been discovered on her body in these areas. That same day, the New Rochelle Police Department searched Valerie's apartment. There were no obvious signs of a struggle, but a forensic analysis showed a small blood stain on Valerie's bedroom pillow, and two small blood stains on the floor of the bathroom, and another blood stain on the bathroom toilet. On February 6, 2019, just 16 hours after Valerie's body was recovered, De Silva again rented the same vehicle that he had used to go to Valerie's apartment in New Rochelle. The Google location data from his phone showed that he was in the Bronx, very near to a car wash. Authorities believe he rented the same vehicle again so he could take it to the car wash and clean it, removing any evidence. On February 7, 2019, De Silva was busy. He used an online marketplace to trade Valerie's iPad for an Apple monitor and a laptop. On February 8, 2019, De Silva took pictures of himself posing next to his newly acquired monitor and laptop. He told his roommate that he had found the items. On February 11, 2019, De Silva was arrested by the Greenwich Police Department and the New Rochelle Police Department. He was arrested for larceny based on his use of Valerie's stolen debit card. When investigators searched his apartment, they found his wallet, which contained Valerie's debit card and her driver's license. On February 12, 2019, De Silva was interviewed by law enforcement. He told authorities that he found Valerie's debit card on a sidewalk while he was bar hopping in East Village, Manhattan. He stated that there was a piece of paper inside the wallet that contained the card's PIN number, and that was how he was able to use the ATM successfully. He denied having been to New Rochelle or Connecticut since the prior year and stated that he had not seen Valerie since the beginning of 2018. De Silva may be pure evil, but he's a lousy liar. De Silva eventually admitted that he drove a rental car to New Rochelle on January 28, 2019, but claimed he was drinking heavily and had blacked out and couldn't remember anything. As the interview progressed, Authorities showed De Silva a picture of Valerie's decomposing body. When he saw the picture of Valerie's dead body, De Silva claimed that her death was an accident, that she had died while they were having sex. He then went on to say that he tied Valerie up with string and tape that he found at her apartment to make her fit inside the suitcase and taped over her mouth so she would not be able to scream. 
If she died while having sex, why does he need to stop her from screaming? Lies and more lies. He went on to describe how he brought Valerie out to the rental car in a suitcase, which he said he found outside in the garbage, and began driving. Next, he stated he drove for a while on the highway before he dropped the suitcase with Valerie still inside on the side of the road. At this point, it is not clear if she was still alive, and he doesn't say. He said he drove back to Queens and threw Valerie's phone off the Whitestone Bridge. He also said he kept Valerie's Kindle and a pillow, which he brought back to his home. On May 2, 2019, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner for Connecticut prepared an autopsy report. He stated that although Valerie had many serious injuries, including head trauma, bruising around the face, and a large hematoma to the forehead, Valerie Ray's official cause of death was ruled as homicidal asphyxia. On February 12, 2019, De Silva was charged with kidnapping resulting in death. A year later, on February 5, 2020, De Silva pleaded guilty. Attorneys for De Silva managed to broker a plea deal. The goal of the plea deal was to obtain a lighter sentence. His offense had the potential to be a death penalty case or possibly life without parole. The agreed-upon sentence was for 360 months or 30 years. De Silva had agreed not to seek a shorter sentence and the state would not seek a longer sentence. With the plea deal in place, De Silva amended his story and said that they had struggled violently in her apartment and he had beaten Valerie severely. Then, while she was still alive, using packing tape and twine, which she found in the apartment, he bound her feet and hands with the twine, placed several layers of packing tape over her mouth and chin, and put her in the suitcase. Next, he drove her to Greenwich, Connecticut, and dumped her body. He admitted that he knew what he was doing, knew it was illegal, and knew that his actions resulted in Valerie's death. In a pre-sentencing letter to the judge, prosecutors described the seriousness of De Silva's offense. Quote, he kidnapped and murdered an innocent young woman with her entire life ahead of her, and he did so in an incredibly cruel fashion, forcing Valerie to take her last breaths while hogtied inside of a suitcase that he then dumped in the woods off the side of the road. Then he emptied her bank account, sold her electronics, and went about living his life as if nothing had happened. Even as Valerie's family and law enforcement desperately searched for any clues as to her whereabouts, the brutal callousness of De Silva's offense cannot be understated and merits a lengthy 360-month term of imprisonment. Unquote. The federal charges make no mention of a sexual encounter, though De Silva had previously claimed that Valerie had struck her head when she fell off the bed while they were having sex. Cairo News 7 reported, quote, U.S. District Judge Vincent Bracetti said De Silva's murder of Ray's was sickening. Anyone who could do such a thing is not a good person, by definition. He is an evil person. So what you did was evil, unquote. The medium reported, quote, It remains unclear why Da Silva killed Valerie. But one indisputable fact is that her last moments 
must have been filled with fear and horror we can't imagine. Thirty years is not nearly enough to make up for the disregard her killers showed for her life. Valerie Rays received some justice, but not nearly all the justice she deserved. Da Silva will be out of prison before he is 55 years old. Once his time is served, one must fear for the women of Venezuela or wherever he goes who may not be aware of his crime and cross his murderous path in the future. Unquote. According to the Daily Mail, Da Silva allegedly cried as Valerie's mom gave a statement in court. Naomi Sanchez said in her statement, quote, You, Javier, deserve nothing but pain and rejection. She told the court, I want you to hear the words of a mother who you devastated by taking away my baby girl. Unquote. Da Silva apologized to Ray's family, stating, quote, No words can express how repulsed I am by the acts I committed. I will never forgive myself for that. I cannot ask the family to forgive me because I don't deserve it. I would like them to know I'm very sorry. Unquote. In his closing statements, the judge called Da Silva evil and his crime sickening. Given the judge's closing statements, it's so hard for me to understand why he only got 30 years. They didn't pursue the death penalty, but I think a life sentence without parole seems very appropriate. Thanks again for tuning in to Crime Happens. All episodes are researched, written, recorded, and audio mixed by me. Crime Happens is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and others. Please follow or subscribe wherever you listen. If you like what you hear, a five-star review would be helpful. You don't even have to say anything. Check out my website at crimehappens.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram at crime underscore happens. I'll be back very soon with a new episode. Until then, I wish you well. Well.